I want you to take note of the time. It's 10 minutes after, so when I run late, not my fault. Okay? <laughs> I was timing you guys on the meet and greet, so I'm blaming all of you. Because some of you weren't sitting down. Well, this is my first time back in front of the church in three weeks. Because three weeks ago, on Sunday, my mother died. And so, being the first Sunday back, I'm going to take this Sunday just to share a little bit about her, about my life with her. So we've got some visitors here this morning, and it's great to have you here, visitors, but we're going to do things a little different this morning. This isn't some type of tight four-point sermon this morning. This is what I have experienced with my mother and my lifetime with her. And so I titled this today, A Journey. This is a journey that I have had with her. And a journey, by definition, is an act of traveling from one place to another. It's a process, it's a course, it's an experience. And I'll tell you today, I have been dreading doing this all week because this will probably be the hardest sermon I've ever done before this morning. This morning, talking about this. This is my mother. And this is, of course, me. I don't wear my cap like that anymore. I try not to. This is my mother when she was very young. And if you're visiting with us this morning, if you don't know about my mother, my mother has been a lifelong drug addict, alcoholic, her whole entire life. Even when this picture was taken, she was very heavily into it. But she was young enough that she was able to look good and maintain and, and, and have that outward appearance. Uh, as I look through the pictures when we went through her stuff, there is probably only eight pictures over my whole entire life of my mother and I in the same picture. Here's one of them. And I look at this picture and I don't know who those people are because I was never close with my mother. It seems like I'm looking at one of those pictures, you know, when you, you buy the, the frame at Walmart and it's already got a family in there. Because I never think of myself as being my mother's little boy and being held by her and being taken care of by her. I don't know what went wrong between my mother and I, and I'll explain more of that, but we were never really close. My mother would tell me when I was a little kid, and she's told me even here lately, that I was the coldest, distant little kid that she'd ever seen before. Some of that is my personality, but some of that is the way that I was raised because of the consequences of her addictions. As I mentioned, she died three weeks ago on Sunday, the 17th. Does anybody remember what three weeks ago what that Sunday was? It was Father's Day. And I'm going to speak about that more as at the end. It was Father's Day that she passed away. She fell before uh, she died. She fell, I don't know, maybe a week prior to her uh, passing away. Uh, she has basically not been in the public, not seen anybody for months. She fell, um, she hurt herself, uh, she laid on the couch for several days, uh, was unable to get up, she was completely dehydrated. She has a neighbor who is a caregiver, she lived in an apartment complex, low income like Haymaker Haven is here. And this lady went to come check on her and she was in very bad shape. Uh, she went to the hospital, we went down on a Thursday night to see her and she was not doing well but she was you know talking and you know and she was worried about getting her drugs and so at least i was thinking well she must not be doing too bad 
And then on Friday, uh, she was in the hospital. Thursday night, Friday, they released her, and we tried to get her into a nursing home. Um, she was able to get into one, but it was frustrating because my mother has burnt so many bridges in North Platte um, with the medical profession because she's now called a drug addict. They didn't want to keep her in the hospital, so they weren't going to cover it pay-wise. So anyway, she went to a nursing home. On Sunday, we were planning on going and seeing her, and she wanted to talk to me desperately Sunday morning, but of course I was here preaching, so her caregiver that stopped in to see her said, you know, he's busy, leave him alone, it's Father's Day, but we went down after lunch because we were planning on it, and by that time she couldn't communicate any longer. Uh, she, couldn't, she couldn't say anything but just nod her head and, you know, and her head go back and forth as far as yes or no. And she was in bad shape, but uh, I spoke to him at the nursing home and they said she's going through withdrawals. That's what you're seeing. It's completely withdrawal because by this time, three days without being on drugs and alcohol. And then it progressed and that night, about an hour later after we left, she died. She died en route to the hospital. It was basically 63 years of abusing her body and it couldn't take it any longer. And so her body just gave up. It basically just disintegrated. And it's not a shock to me because when I was little and she turned 30, I remember, I thought she was partying so hard and running with people. I thought she's not going to live much longer. For 34 years, she proved me wrong. So she's done pretty well. Uh, and uh, we didn't have a service because she requested that. Basically, all her friends have abandoned her or are now dead because they died when they were my age. I watched most of them die of drug and alcohol-related um, issues. And so that's where we're at with her. And actually, I brought her here this morning. I kid you not, here she is. She was cremated, of course, you can see. And you know what? We're having a good time because we're doing all the things we never did when I was a kid. We ride bikes. I take her to go get ice cream. We've been to the movies, you know. She still doesn't like to play ball very much because when I... I have to tell you a funny story about Caitlin. Um, we're going to run long this morning if you got food that's going to be burned, I'm telling you that right now. Uh, the week that my mother passed away, um, we made the prior commitment to taking care of Schaefer's rabbit while they were down in Florida, okay? Um, my mother passed away, and I'll tell you, I was very fearful of taking care of this rabbit because I didn't want anything to happen to Becca's rabbit. And so the girls laughed because I'd always say, you better check on that rabbit. You better check on that rabbit. You better check on that rabbit. How's our rabbit doing? And the girls would always, they were laughing about it during the week. Well, my mother died, and the next day we were down cleaning out her apartment. We came home late in the evening, and the girls were taking good care of this rabbit. And Kaylin came to me, and she said, Dad, I think the rabbit might be a little dead. <laughs> and I said, a little dead? I said, Kaylin, don't mess with me this week. It's not a good week. And she was, I think it's a lot dead. So I ran over there, and I was praying, like, little rabbit, be okay. I looked in the cage. It was dead. And I felt terrible, because now i got to tell Becca about her rabbit being dead, that they were coming, we believe, that evening to pick it up. And so I was feeling bad about it, and Kayla was trying to help, and she said to me, after this kind of was all taken care of, and she said, where's Grandma Claudia at? Her ashes that we had just picked up, and I said, she's still in the pickup. And she goes, well, could we bring her in the house? And I said, sure, thinking that she was getting all emotional and the connection, and Grandma's sitting in the pickup. 
And so we brought her in, and she was opening the box and getting out the bag, and she was going to sit right in the counter. And I said, what are you doing? And she said, well, when Schaefer's come, I want to say to him, this is my grandma. <laughs> and she said, the rabbit won't be a big deal at all. And her mom rolled her eyes and said, you're a lot like your father. And I said, awesome, get her out. This is my mom. Sorry about your rabbit. They didn't even come in the house. So Caitlin's like, we should have took it outside and said it. I said, that looks too suspicious. But. How many of you have ever seen the movie Back to the Future? Have you seen that movie? Some of you are not raising your hands. You need to watch more movies, okay? If you've seen this movie, it's been around for a long time. It came out in 1985. The whole movie, for some of you that are good Christians, don't watch TV, I guess, whatever. The whole movie is built around the story of this Marty McFly, who, through circumstances, travels back in time in a DeLorean, okay? Stainless steel car, for those who aren't car bus. He travels back in time, and the time frame that he is put into is when his parents are teenagers. Now, through different circumstances, he decides to manipulate time and change the past of his parents. Change it for the better, because there are some pivotal moments in their life, especially for his father, one, that if he can change that moment, it's going to change the future. And his life would be different if that one pivotal moment is changed. And as I watched this as a kid, I thought, man, I wish I could go back in time for my mother. A little bit of context for those who don't know me. Uh, my mother, as I said, alcohol, drug addict. I've had no father, and my brother was, I had one younger brother that was killed. My mother has had no siblings, and she was the only child herself, of course, and... Uh, and she had a rough growing up. And I wish that I could change just that one pivotal moment. Like, you know, I'm going to run in there when my mom's going to smoke a joint and knock it out of her hand, and everything's going to be fine. And of course, that's Hollywood. Can't go back in time. I can't afford a DeLorean. And, and we know that it's not just one thing. It's not just one thing. It's a series of decisions that she made in her life when she was young. This is a picture of my mother, and I don't know what age she was. You can kind of guess with me. Maybe she's six, five, I don't know. That woman there, that little girl in that picture, never thought she was going to be a drug addict, never thought she was going to be an alcoholic, never make the bad decisions that she made, never literally be with hundreds of men. She wasn't planning that for her life then. And she had at that age all the opportunities that most kids would have as far as that, you know, um, she was born into a family that, you know, could have provided some education for her. She was a very smart girl, very pretty girl. You know, she was funny. But she chose a path. And I want to talk about that today. This is a journey. And I want to talk about these four words as I kind of sum up my journey with my mother so far. And it's not over. There's pain, there's addiction, there's forgiveness, and there's hope. So I want to start off with pain. Pain is an interesting thing, isn't it? Because pain protects us. 
Pain guides us and teaches us. Pain should cause us to stop and think. When you're doing something and you're overexerting yourself and there's some pain, you stop. Kyle's going to like this because he's been giving me a hard time about this. I have a hernia starting, okay? It's, don't laugh, Jason. I have a hernia apparently that's starting right here, and it's been hurting me bad the last few weeks. So when I lift too much, I realize I need to kind of back it off, and I need to take care of it. It's been there for years. It's getting worse because I'm getting older. So when I'm, if something falls out when I'm up here, help me out, okay? <laughs> Pain tells you, you are pushing it too much. You need to stop at this point. And it's a teacher. That's why I let my girls experience things and do things. Like, here's a penny, there's a light socket, go for it. Because they'll never do it again. It's my parenting philosophy, how I parent. And of course, we've got physical, emotional, and we've got spiritual pain. But the question comes down to in our life when it comes to those areas. This is a question. Are we, when we experience this pain, are we going to gain from it? Are we going to become stronger? Are we going to let it destroy us? Every one of us here has experienced pain in life. If you've been alive for very long, you've experienced pain. You've experienced trials. Jesus says, not if, but when trials come. We've all experienced pain, and what are we going to do with it at that point? Another thing I've said before, and some of this is going to be repeat because... It's things I've said and or I've taken from other people and I've taught on and it's things now I'm applying to my life. I've said this before, hurting people hurt people. Hurting people hurt people. Say that with me this morning. Would you do that? Hurting people hurt people. If you get one thing from me, understand that. Because we live in a world of hurting people. And then those hurting people hurt those people around them. Those who have been emotionally damaged tend to inflict their hurt and pain on others. My mother was an only child, and her parents partied also. Now, they did it in a more of a refined way than my mother did with alcohol. But she was raised in a home where they were never there. And having no siblings, she spent a lot of time alone. And my grandfather was a very evil, and I say that truthfully, evil, abusive man. And he abused her her whole childhood and even to adulthood. And because of that, she had a lot of pain in her life. And because of that, she tried to seek the love and approval from, even though she was a young teenager, from older men who abused her also and she carried this pain and hurt people are self so self-absorbed in their own pain that they're unaware that they're hurting that those that are closest to them sometimes they're aware of it sometimes they're not the ironic thing when my mom would really be plastered she would start to cry and talk about her childhood and how she was treated and the ironic thing I sit there when I was seven years old and listened to this is that it was exactly how she treated me. And she didn't recognize that. She didn't even recognize that. My mother had a very, very violent temper because of the pain that she had. 
She physically, emotionally, verbally abused me my whole entire life. Uh, if something went wrong, my mother just took it out on me. You know, if the keys got locked in the car, I was going to run for cover because she was going to stop me. That's what she did. And I realize now as an adult because I was the closest one to her, really. And so when she went off like that and she used me as a punching bag and stomped on me, it's because she, I was the closest one to her. That's why she did that. Because she was a hurting person herself. Another thing about pain is hurt people often isolate themselves from others with self-destructive behavior and then they wonder why no one is there for them. My mother had no friends. She had one lady, as I mentioned, who came and checked on her. That was it. All her friends have died. She has manipulated them, burnt bridges with them also, and so they're not around her. Uh, or they were never really friends to begin with. But most of them are dead. Like I said, most of them died when they were in their 40s. And she was absolutely all alone. I am struggling with a lot of guilt because Satan has been throwing in my mind, I should have been a better son, I should have done more, I, tried to, I should have tried to reach out to her more. But the thing is, she isolated herself from my family also. We would try to visit her, and when we were there for 15 minutes, she would say, uh, my show's coming on in a little bit here. Are you guys planning on staying very much longer? Now, that's all she did was sit in front of that TV 24-7. But 15 minutes down there was too long. And she isolated herself. And then she wondered why no one wanted to be around her. Because she actually pushed people away. The last thing that I want to say here about pain is that hurt people have the emotional maturity of the age that they receive this hurt and they haven't dealt with it and so they're stuck in that. This is a picture of my mother when I assume she would have been about 15, 16 years of age. Look, she's holding a little kitten there, which is so ironic because she hated cats, okay? I'm amazed by this picture. I don't know if she's just getting ready to take it and throw it on the ground or what she was doing here. I'm always amazed to see my mother when she doesn't have a beer in one hand and a cigarette in the other also, you know, so. But at this moment in her life, she just stopped growing emotionally, mentally. So I was raised by someone that had the mentality of a 13 or 14 year old. Try that on. 13 year or 14 year old that's a very selfish, self-absorbed, hurting person. Because that's where she was at. Uh, it was like she was more my older sister than she ever was my mother. And actually, people that don't know my family very well in North Platte still believe that she is my older sister and not my mother because I was raised by my grandparents so much of the time. People will say, your sister Claudia, and I just don't even argue with them anymore. I just go, okay, because I've had people argue with, no, she's your sister. Okay, whatever. You know everything because it was like being raised by someone who was a child. And people become stuck at that point. I want to talk about addiction. The clinical definition for an addiction is an addiction is a condition in which the body must have a drug to avoid physical and psychological withdrawal symptoms. Addiction's first stage is dependence during which the search for a drug dominates an individual's life 
And an addict eventually develops tolerance, which forces the person to consume larger and larger doses of the drug to get the same effect. As a little kid, I would always say, if my mother ever got any blood in her alcohol system, she would die. And I guess I was right on that. I hate to be, but that's what it was. And she was consumed by it. Webster's definition of an addiction is the condition of being a slave to a habit. A slave. In other words, abuse or addiction is allowing something to control your actions. And I can tell you from being the son of someone who is an addict, um, even having some problems myself, that it controlled every area of our life. Absolutely every area of our life. From the time, I didn't realize it at the point when I was a kid, but from the time we woke up in the mornings till the time we went to sleep at night, it consumed all the time. Christmases, birthdays, everything was consumed by her being an addict. Another thing I will say about addiction is that hurt people, and we've talked about her being hurt, hurt people often attempt to medicate themselves with excessive whatever. You can fill in the blank. She would always call it self-medication. I don't know where she got that one of her treatment centers it never took, I guess, but she called it self-medication. That was just the way she justified it then. And the thing was, she was medicating herself because she didn't ever want to have to deal with the hurt. So she medicated, and she didn't have to think about it, and she numbed herself. You know, and we can look at somebody who struggles with alcohol or with drugs, and we can point at that and say it's an addiction, but I can guarantee you we all struggle with addictions. And they are pretty addictions, whether it's working too much, you know, it's eating too much, it's spending too much money, it's buying this, it's having this, it's golfing, it's hobbies, because we're all sinners and we're all addicts in some way, because we're all addicted to sin and the world's ways. We're all addicted to that. And I have been trying to fight my uh, feelings when people have came up to me in North Platte in the last few weeks and have told me, don't feel bad about your mother dying because she was a piece of garbage and I'm cleaning up what they're saying. She's a piece of garbage, who cares? You know, don't feel bad about it, don't you feel guilty, at least you're not like that. Thanks for the pep talk. And the thing I want to say to them, and I don't, that their addictions are just as damaging, because I know these people personally, they're just as damaging, they're just not drugs and alcohol. But yet they're self-righteous Ah, she was a piece of junk. We're all addicts. Because it's a spiritual problem. It's a heart problem. And we cannot break free without the divine intervention of Jesus Christ. And when I think of my mom, I think of this proverb. Proverb 26, 11. It says, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. Never seen a dog, and I don't mean to get graphic, but they will throw up and then they will go back and they will eat it. And you're going, you still, <laughs> you just licked me in the face, I know it. And you're thinking, why do you do that? And you know, the dog's eating it going, I don't know, but it's delicious. I don't know if he's thinking that, but he can't help it. 
And I thought about that every time my mom went through a court-appointed rehab. Two of them. And it wasn't the next day, and she was back into it more than when she left. Because it was like a dog returning to his own vomit. And that's the power of addiction. And you would say, well, how does this happen? And I wish I had some answers for that. Of course, it's pain, sin, it's choices. But another thing that goes along with this is it's generational sin. And I've talked about this a lot before. Hopefully we understand the generational sins is attitudes and actions and belief and behaviors or habits that we've inherited from our family. And they put us in bondage. We are slaves to them. We have struggled with alcohol and my family for generations. I am now a mixture of Native American, there's some German in there, and Irish. That's not a good combination for drinking, okay? That's why I don't even drink mouthwash. I'll come here all sauced and you'll be like going, he drank mouthwash this morning. <laughs> it's not a good combination. And my grandparents were both alcoholics. My grandmother, uh, she did that just to numb the pain also. And it carried on to my mother. Because it's a generational sin. I will say this, how did this happen? Well, I would say, you know, all those things I just mentioned, but I would also add in here choice of peers. Because my mother, uh, not having a parent at home, she would tell stories that when she was 14, she would take the family car, she would go to North Platte, and she would hang out with grown men. 14-year-old girl was hanging out with grown men. She's a very attractive 14-year-old girl. You saw from the pictures, not a good combination. And then you put alcohol in there, bad. She started to hang around with people that were bad influence. And as I tell my girls, 1 Corinthians 15:33, the word of God says, do not be, de be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. And if you have no morals, they're going to really go down the toilet. Proverbs 13.20 says, Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. And she hung around people that were not a good influence, and she was a very weak person, and so this started something for the rest of her life. She always hung around these types of people. The people, as I mentioned a few weeks back, the people that, and the guys that thought they were the one percenters, the bikers, the real bad guys, you know. I'm the one percenter. Okay, you tough guy. These are the types of people that she hung around. This is what they did. You know, they asked me, you know, when I go to step the obituary, so did your mother have any hobbies, anything she liked to do? Anything I should write down? She loved to drink and do drugs. Well, we don't really put that in the obituary. Well, that's all I know that she did. She had no hobbies. She didn't do anything, but that's what she did with her friends. And an interesting thing that someone wrote online, a condolence, and I don't even know who this lady was, but she had wrote that my mother was a friend of hers that she met in North Platte, wasn't a longtime friend. This lady struggled with drugs and alcohol. She got to a point in her life where she needed some help, and my mother set her up with a counselor in a treatment center. This lady went through the treatment, and then, ironically, couldn't be around my mother anymore because, you know, for those who went through it or had family, you can't be around addicts anymore. 
So she had to tell my mother, I can't be around you anymore. And she says, because of Claudia, I have been sober for 10 years. She gave somebody else that advice, but she didn't carry it herself. So on the other side, there were some positive things with peers. The next thing is forgiveness. And of course, we understand that when it comes to forgiveness, the opposite of forgiveness is bitterness. And I've said this before, these are my definitions for bitterness. Bitterness is con the continuing negative response to an apparent negative experience. It's this cycle you go through. Something bad has happened to you, you've been treated this way, and now you're going to treat other people like that. Not even people that maybe are connected on with it. Maybe they might have been the offender, but just people around you. Another definition, and these are not mine, I've just taken ownership of them. Bitterness is anger frozen in time towards another person because of the offense committed. And as I said, that is where she was stuck at with this anger in her life. And it was a continual cycle because she was very bitter. As Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, 15, it says, See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. What scripture is saying there is if you are a very bitter person, it will become enrooted to the very core of your being. It will eat you alive, and then it defiles all those around you. This pretty much sums up my childhood. Because I am a very, I can be, God's Spirit has done some great things, but I am a very angry person. Because why? Because of the environment and the bitterness that was spread in our family. And when it comes to bitterness, <clears throat> it can be directed towards others for the pain that they've caused us, towards ourselves for our own failures, and then, of course, it's pointed also to God because he allowed these things to happen. And when I look at her life, I realize that she was bitter towards all these things. That's why she was always trying to self-destruct and basically destroy herself all the time. If there was a right way and a wrong way and a way that was completely insanely destructive, she always went that destructive way. And I thought 50% of the time she should get it right because she chose that direction. And of course she was mad at her family, she was mad at men, and then of course she was mad at God. But there's forgiveness. And as I've said before, forgiveness is willingly living with the consequences of somebody else's sin. It's willingly. Is it a bad deal what somebody does to you? Absolutely. Are you just going to forget it? Nope, you never will forget it. But you're going to live with the consequences of it. Willingly. This is what I do every day. This is what I have been tested on in the last three weeks heavily. Living with the consequences. Willingly living with them. Of her actions and forgiving her. Because forgiveness is the act of setting someone free from an obligation that is a result of a wrong done against you. It was wrong. It was bad what happened. But what am I going to do now about it? How is she going to repay me? How is she going to repay me for a childhood? You cannot repay someone for a childhood. And so I have no choice but to forgive her. 
Because when we choose not to forgive, the only person that we imprison and torture is ourselves. That's the only person. And I have seen that from her own life, that she tortured herself. She was trying to get back at people, and the only person that she destroyed is herself. And my brother and I were just a part of being in her prison with her. That's why at the end of her life, for years, she has not left her apartment. Not only was she mentally, spiritually, but physically, she had made herself a prisoner. This caregiver is the only one that got her groceries and brought her food and went to the store for her. And I've learned this, regardless of how much we blame someone, it's not going to change us or it's not going to change the past. You know that to be true. And when it comes to my mother, I believe this. My life is not your fault saying, it's her fault, it's my opportunity. It's my opportunity. I was raised by some of the people that gave me the best education in the world. That's why I'm doing what I do. You can't get that from going to Bible school. You can't get that from counsel of training. You can't get that anyplace but to live it out in your life daily. And then the last word I want to end with is hope. It's hope. And the good news is it doesn't matter how messed up your family is or how bad your situation was when you were growing up, you are not cursed. You are not cursed. I had a guidance school counselor tell me, he said, I wish, and he was, I mean, in high school, of course, I'm in there, and he was sitting in his office, and of course, I'd been in a little bit of trouble. And he said, I wish that I could take people like, this is what he said to me, honest to God. He said, I wish I could take people like you and your brother and your mother and round them up and put them at a camp where we would just gas them, but it's against the law. He said, I wish that we could just get rid of you. He said, but I can't, so we have to deal with you in society. And he says, you are a piece of crap, and you will always be one because of the family that you came from. You can't deny it. And he said, you've never had a father. You won't know how to be one. This was another conversation I had with him. Great Christian guy. Great Christian guy. I'm serious. This guy really talked it up as being a Christian. I would love to go debate him today. And so I felt like I am cursed. And there's other people that had told me the same thing as being an adult, as them being an adult, that this is what my life was headed towards. It's kind of funny. I had a teacher, another good, strong Christian lady. I'm being a little bit to my office, but good Christian high school teacher, and somebody said to her that my mother had died, and she knew that I'm a pastor, and she said, I don't believe that he's changed at all. I don't even, I can't even believe he's a pastor, because I don't think that he could change. And then she kind of knocked on you guys a little bit. She said, any church that would hire him as a pastor has to be crazy. So it's really your fault. I'm blaming you. But the truth is, I'm not cursed. And Brenda Hines said that she had a dream when the Lord gave it to her, or it was just anchovy pizza, I don't know, but she had a dream. And she said that she had a dream of taking some links of a chain and then breaking them and handing them to our three girls and saying, you are not cursed. You are not cursed. I think I need to have my own link. Caitlin said that to me this week. Brenda needs to make you a link too, I think. 
God's word says in Ezekiel 18, I'm not going to go through it, we don't have time, but there's some good things that come from this chapter, and he says, evil actions of others affect us, but they do not judge us. We are not judged by the actions of our parents. God holds us responsible for our actions and not the actions of others, thank God. And each generation has the opportunity to avoid the mistakes of their parents. And that is what I'm doing in my life. I'm breaking the chain. Breaking the chain of alcohol and drug abuse. Mental, physical abuse that has gone on in our family. There's also hope. God wants to heal our hurting heart. I've learned that. Psalm 103.17 says, The Lord's love is with those who fear Him. It goes on to say, And His righteousness will be with their children's children. Breaking that chain. A psalm that has always stuck in my mind the first time I've read it is this, and it's came back to my mind this last few weeks. Psalm 27.10 says, Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. I've never had a father. I've limited had a mother. The Lord's going to receive me. Some random thoughts I'm just throwing out here as we end. The only higher power that can truly set us free and keep us free is the power of God through the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. My mother did not have those things when she went through the treatment centers. And so she was still a slave to her addictions. And Jesus has some good news in John chapter 8, verse 32. He says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I have lived my life with lies from the beginning. My, my grandparents covered stuff up. They covered stuff up for my mother. And if it would have just dealt with the truth, it would have been different, I believe. And I want to say this. With the Lord, there's always hope. And I've learned this this last few weeks also. God's word is guaranteed to accomplish what he plans. Of course, we know this verse, very familiar with it, Isaiah 55, 11, It says, and the Lord is speaking here, it says, So is my word that goes out of my mouth. It will not to re return to me empty, or some translations say void, but it will accomplish what I desire. Some translations say what I please, what pleases me, and achieve my purpose for which I've sent it. My mother said to me, um, she thought she was dying last spring, and uh, she said to me, uh, when I die, I want you to find these papers I have for you. And I thought it was just going to be, you know, I don't know what she wanted after she died. And I said, you better give them to me, you're going to lose them. And she said, I don't want you to have them until I die. Well, I went down and started to clean out her apartment. And uh, um, interesting thing that her caregiver said that she had been reading her Bible. This one that my wife and I had given her years back, and she had been reading it a lot lately. And so in the Bible, I found this note. And it says, I truly believe Jesus is my Savior that Jesus died for my sins, and I believe I will spend eternity with him and everyone that I have ever loved. I believe that there will be animals in heaven, and I believe that Jesus has a sense of humor. And then she goes on to say, I'm not afraid of death. So I was encouraged by that, because I had shared with my mother so many times, and she never had responded, ever. And if you look at this note, it was really good handwriting for the way that she's been lately. And I believe that it just got to the point where my mother had made some peace with the Lord. 
I believe that that night when she was in the, hospital, the nursing home, I believe that she knew that she was going to die. Because I didn't have power of attorney. They said her vitals were good. They said she was going through withdrawals. And I kept saying to her, Mom, do you need to go back to the hospital? And she kept shaking her head no. She kept saying no. There was something that she wanted to tell me that morning. And uh, as I said, her friend Linda, who was there that morning, said, don't call him, don't bother him at church. It's Father's Day, leave him alone. By the time I got down there, she couldn't tell me. And I'm hoping it had some connection on with this. So I say that because um, I really just have given up hope on my mother. And I think that this is her way of trying to say, I've listened, I've accepted. Uh, I try to hold on to this and over some of the other things that I have read, my mother kept a lot of letters. One of the letters that was hard to read was that, uh, um, and this was a letter written back to her, so I'm only getting the other side of the conversation, but a guy friend of hers wrote that she knew in high school, he said, you know, I've never had any kids, so I don't know what you're going through, but um, it makes me feel bad when you say that every time you look at him, he reminds you of everything you've ever done wrong. The him is me. And that gave me some perspective on why my mother treated me like she did, because everything that she felt like she had done wrong started possibly with me. But the positive thing that came out of that was this guy went on in another letter to say, back, you know, in 72 when I came, you had a decision. You could have made some different choices and you decided to stay there. And I could have helped you make some decisions. I don't know what those decisions were. At least abandoning me, probably aborting me. And she chose to stick with it. And I hold on to that. And as I said, there's always hope with the Lord because God shows mercy and grace to all who ask. 1 John 1, 9, of course, we know if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and He will forgive us our sins and He cleanses from all unrighteousness. Even my mother. So when people tell me that she is a piece of junk, she's not worth anything, she's worth something in the Lord's eyes. There wasn't many letters that I received but most of them I did receive were from people that said, your mother is now at peace. Now, some of them, if they write that, believe everybody's going to go to heaven and kumbaya. But this one that was written by a friend of hers named Trudy, who knew my mother, known our family, myself, my whole entire life, said, we're very sad at the loss of your mother. She was such a tormented soul. She goes on to say, JC, you already know what hell is like. However, Stacy and your children must have always been a light at the end. Your family and the members of your church have a very deep love for you and for your family. We have a home up in Brownlee. This is up where we pastored before. And many of the families say many great things about, the, about you and your family. They have all grown to love you deeply up there. And then she goes on to say that she hasn't closed a check and she remembers my mother as having an infectious laugh, but someone who was always hurting. From the time that she was very young, she was a very, as Trudy says, a very tormented soul, and now that has ended. 
the addiction has ended, the pain has ended. So why this journey? Well, as I said, this isn't about me. This isn't about my mother. This is about the Lord. And it's about a lot of your journeys also. Because really they're the same journeys. Different, but the same. I know it's to develop my character. Because... Because the way she was, I'm the way I am. Good and bad. Because she was so weak, I'm strong. Another thing is discover your faith. Point you to the Lord. If she would have never been like she was, and I didn't realize what sin was, just raw, maybe I wouldn't think that people are sinners. Maybe I didn't think that people would need a Savior. It's to learn about real life. Man, I always tell people, I am fluent in BS because I have been raised in it. My first language, to tell you the truth. It's just real life. It's people I've been raised by. And when it comes to finding true strength, I have found that also. Because as it says in Scripture, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So why on Father's Day, Mom, did you have to die? Man, you know when they came in and told me that, she died from the, from the way from the nursing home to the hospital, and the doctor came in there. This great chaplain guy came in there, an elderly guy, he's a retired pastor, and he knew of the situation with my mom and everything. This guy was just weeping. He felt so bad. I felt like I had to console him. I'm like, it's okay. The Lord loves you, and we're going to be fine. And he, Man, it's bad. I said, yeah, I know. Bad. Why Father's Day? I don't know. I'm still trying to sort that all out. But I really feel like the Lord has given me a word because that time and season of my life has ended as being her son. I have cleaned up her messes my whole entire life. I've cleaned up her last one. I'm just about ready to finish it up when I get some paperwork done. And that's it. You know, I don't care about Easter, Christmas, Hanukkah, Halloween. I do like Halloween a little bit, but, you know, you can't say that in front of the church. But you know, what I, you know what's my main holiday? Father's Day. That's my main one. You know why? I never had one. And I thought as a kid, that's going to be my day. <laughs> and then she dies on that day. How ironic. Or is it by design? And I totally believe it was by design. Because out of the 364 days she could die, she died that day. That is not a coincidence. And I believe the Lord is telling me, well done, faithful servant. You need to do what I've called you to do. And that's being a father. So I want to end with this. I've learned this, to accept responsibility for your life. Because you cannot determine, determine the hand that you are dealt. But you can decide how it's played. And the thing with that is that there's always a chance to play in that hand. My mother still had that opportunity up until she took that last breath to play that hand in a different way. There's always that opportunity. But we want to look at the cards and say, forget it. 
This is the hand I was given. I give up. It's not fair. It's not right. I'm not going to play it. We always have that choice. And when I was watching my mother laying there in the nursing home and she was going through the withdrawals and the stuff, I was hoping that there would be hope because we walk out of there and my daughter said to me, wow, that looks terrible. And I said, yeah, but you know what? This, and this is me being positive. This is why I don't be positive, okay? I said, yeah, but the positive thing is she might get over these withdrawals and maybe this will wake her up and maybe this will be the turnaround in her life that she needs. And she was dead an hour and a half later. Even at the end there, I was hoping, I was hoping that it was going to be different, but that's not what was meant to happen. It just wasn't. And I'm struggling, I'm, I'm surprised how much I'm struggling inside, because um, it's actually a relief to me that she's gone. And I feel guilty that I feel that way. But I'm struggling inside because I feel like I'm so alone. Man, I feel alone. I have felt alone my whole entire life, but I really, really feel alone the last three weeks. I've got a great wife, great kids. So silly I feel like that, but I feel like that. And I think I feel like that because there's always the hope that you thought that she would turn around and get off the stuff and that she would be a mom and a grandmother. And that's gone now. Never going to happen on this side of eternity. But you know what the hope is? It's going to be different on the other side. I want to end with this last verse, Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. I think about this a lot in my life, and this is when Moses is speaking to the nation of Israel, to the children, and they're going to enter into the promised land, and Moses isn't going to enter in because of some bad mistakes that he's made, and God says, you're not going to do it, Moses. And these are the children of the people that wandered in the desert for 40 years, and he says this to them. This is his pep talk. He says, today I'm giving you the choice, and he's speaking just from the heart of God here, as Moses says this out of his mouth. He says, between blessing and curse. He says, you will be blessed if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I have given you today. You will receive a curse if you reject the commandments of the Lord your God and turn from his ways by worshiping foreign gods. What he's saying here is, people, you got a choice. Because we all got choices. He says, either you can follow the Lord or you can follow after these other gods. He says, that's your choice, but there's going to be consequences either way. Good consequences, bad consequences. Make your choice. Hopefully you're going to choose the Lord. And when he's speaking about the foreign gods here, he's speaking, if you know the story of Israel, he's speaking about the people that were worshiping the foreign gods of their fathers and mothers. And he says, don't do that. Make your choice for the Lord. And that's what I choose to do every day. Do it, do it perfectly? No. Hopefully I do it passionately. But as I said, I'm trying to choose the Lord because I've seen what the curse, the consequences is if you choose to go after the world. So with the word of prayer, Lord, You know, we've all made choices here, and we're all living with the consequences of those choices. And Lord, I, I pray one thing that if we could take away this morning is that, uh, that we are living in a hurting world, that there are people around us that are hurting, we're hurting ourselves, 
And I pray when people do things to us, when they react a certain way, that we don't take it personal. We realize it's just a hurting world. I pray that we would choose to forgive them in our lives and realize that people have done us wrong, but if we're angry with them, we're better, we're just destroying ourselves. I pray that we would start to choose to forgive them as we have been forgiven by your son and the work done on the cross. And I, Lord, I pray because we all know that there's people in our lives that have some issues. I pray that we'd realize that there's some hope out there. And it's not hope that we generate, but it's hope that your word gives because people can change. Hearts can be changed. Lives can be changed. And Lord, as I stand here, I'm a testimony of that. Out of myself, I'm weak, I've got problems, I've got issues. I'm a testimony of your spirit and what it can do. My mother, Claudia Calhoun, was a testament of that also. Yeah. Quiet testament, unknown testament, but still someone who is a child of yours because of profession made. Not because of the bad that she was or any good that she did, but because of the decision that she made for your son. Give you thanks for just your lovingness and your patience with us. That even when we are stubborn and arrogant and we go our own ways, that you still choose to love us. Give you thanks for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.